the Instructor Podcast with Terry Cook, talking with leaders, innovators, experts and game changers about what drives them. Welcome to the Instructor Podcast. This is a show where I speak to leaders, experts, innovators and game changers to help you become an even more awesome driving instructor. As always, I am your splendid host, Terry Cook. I'm delighted to be here and even more delighted that you have chosen to listen because today we are taking a look at the youth. That's right. I am joined by coach and teacher Sam Dematos as we take a look at teenagers and young adults and we look at some of the problems they're facing and some of the difficulties they face around learning to drive and how we can do better rather than just tiring everyone with the same brush. How can we treat people as individuals? We also take a look at the difference between coaching and teaching, considering Sam qualified as both a teacher and a coach in the same month of November, which is quite impressive. Plus, we cover a few other fun bits as well. But just before we dive into today's show, I want to take a moment to give a very special shout out to Bev Kavana. Now, Bev recently signed up to Instructor Podcast Premium and I accidentally um, insulted her. <laughs> it wasn't intentional. So I wanted to take a moment, first of all, to welcome Bev to the podcast listenership and to welcome her to the premium membership. But just to give a big shout out because she did say she was looking forward to hearing a name mentioned on the show. So welcome on board, Bev, not Ben, Bev. But for now, let's get stuck into the episode. So today on the Instructor Podcast, I am joined by Sam Dematos. How are we doing, Sam? I'm all right. I'm great. How are you? I am good. Did I get the pronunciation okay? Yeah, fine. Perfect. Well done. Happy days. Happy <laughs> days. Uh, that's the thing I've been most worried about this week. I'm not going to lie. Well, brilliant. Um, it's gone now. Now nothing else is scary. Excellent. Uh, so um, I'm going to kick off because I like to start the show by asking everyone about the tagline to my show, which is I speak to leaders, experts, innovators and game changers. So which one of those do you fall into leader, expert, innovator, game changer? I mean, I like all of those things. I think if I were to have to choose one, I'd want to say game changer. I like Game Changer. I love it when people go Game Changer. Why Game Changer? Because in the kind of, in my own, in well, in my past experience and what I'm currently doing now, which is um, teaching and coaching, I, I, have a, I, have a, I have an approach that's quite different where I look at, I have my background's in zoology and neuroscience. And um, I actually like to come at, my stuff from a look from looking at our evolution as humans and also like where we fit into the world with other animals and and our behaviors and that's quite a lot that's quite different to what a lot of other people are doing so that's why i go with game changer because it's quite a game changing point of view to look at things with I like it. And uh, you know, maybe we'll touch back on that in a, in, a, in a bit because you mentioned your coach. Uh, and in November, I think this is very impressive, in November you have become a fully qualified and accredited coach through the Coaching Academy and, because obviously that's not enough, also a fully qualified teacher. Yes, I had my graduation on Friday. It was great. Um, so first of all, congratulations. <laughs> Thank um, you. I again, we might dig into this a little bit later, but I want to start off by asking what I think is one of the daftest questions I'm ever going to ask on this podcast. But I'm still keen to ask it. I'm curious, which was harder, the coaching qualification or the teaching qualification? Um, well, the way they were, the way these qualifications of mine were laid out 
were very different. So um, the coaching qualification that I did was very intense. It was a level five qualification, which is just below like a full degree. Um, it's like two years of a, of a of an undergraduate degree is is a, like level five level, so it's quite a high level. And my PGCE was level seven, which is above degree level. Um, but the coaching qualification was very much laid out um, for us to be able to do it in our own time. And that was great, but it meant that it took me ages <laughs> because I kept procrastinating on it, doing other things, forgetting it was there, remembering, oh, yeah, I better get that done. So it took me a really long time, whereas obviously the my my teaching, I did part-time over the past two years, and um, the deadlines were given to me. And if I didn't hit those, I was in trouble. So that's quite motivating. <laughs> um, so the what I had to do for the coaching was easier than what I had to do for the teaching, um, partly because uh, I really I enjoy teaching, but I enjoy the coaching. And a lot of it was just me talking about my opinions, whereas the teaching side of things um, – I had to write, you know, essays and theses, uh, pulling out like, you know, all research from that's already been done. So the content of teaching was harder to learn than the content of coaching. But the coaching qualification was harder for me to get because I wasn't because they let me do it at my own pace. I love that answer. <laughs> Bit of a brilliant. convoluted answer. <laughs> no, but I like it. And it makes so much sense because I think it also applies to both. You know, I think we we coaching, we do kind of learn stuff more at our own pace, don't we? So I think it um applies. Yeah, I love the answer. Um anyway, I, I want to move on because the, the topic I want to speak to you about first is, is something that I've seen you uh speak about online a bit and something that I know you're passionate and it, it's the way that we as adults, not maybe not we, but adults, uh, a lot of adults talk to children teenagers young adults and uh you know i suppose in particular for for us if you like 17 and 25 year olds but the way we regard those people so i'm just going to throw a very open question what's your concern around that what's what are you seeing there that's making you a little bit concerned that you don't like well my big concern and to when i did my teaching qualification i also did a lot of learning support with students in a, it was in all in fe which is college level um and i worked with a lot of students who had uh particular barriers so like maybe they were adhd or autistic and so they had more barriers than say some other students and i also worked in an area of the country which i'm down in cornwall by the way um which had the capture area for that college was quite um underprivileged shall we say so they had a quite a lot of so a lot of these students had quite a lot of um, home issues and, and and social things going on and um, so I've got a lot of experience there and I think my biggest concern that I have is kind of the way their their views of the world aren't respected and kind of not really appreciated so you know, you get a lot of adults just kind of being like, "Oh well, you just you're just gonna you just you're just gonna have to learn that that's not the way life is," and I'm kind of like, and I'd always kind of be like, "Yeah, okay, to you it isn't, and yes, you've got life experience to tell you that thing isn't going to work. That student doesn't." And I often find myself asking those adults, "How would you have responded when you were a teenager if you had an adult saying, look, just just drop it because that's not how the world works?'" You'd have probably just bought. Mm fuck off <laughs> you know like um as they do because they know that they're being dismissed and that's not really fair 
the when their only crime is not having life experience because they're only 17. And I think that's probably my biggest concern. See, I I, I love it. I think the a 17 year old, like you say, they don't have the life experience. And and to me, they just give a fresh a fresh perspective on things sometimes. It's like, you know, if I speak to someone that knows nothing about driving, for example, they can give me a different take on it that I've never heard before. It could be wrong. It could be nonsense, but it doesn't mean that their opinion is wrong, or you know, in that sense. And I think that we as instructors can be guilty of that sometimes. And that, you know, this is where the coaching comes in, in aspect of it as well, rather than just telling them because we sometimes expect them not to know anything. We can ask them what they know, but it's something I've seen you talk about online as well. And the idea of, in fact, I saw really, you were talking about it and said that a lot of adults can't control their own emotions, but we expect yeah. young people to. And I find this fascinating. I really do because I see it on driving instructor groups all the time on social media where there'll be an instructor having a meltdown, throwing a tantrum over something. And I'm thinking, hold on, you're teaching kids and you're <laughs> learning about the kids that are throwing a tantrum, but you're throwing a bigger strop than they are. You know, is, is that something you see a lot? Yes. So I know I've, I've seen um, in, yeah, kind of like this expectation. <laughs> I've seen like this is um, this is actually a story that I know of from like long before when I lived in London. So <laughs> so like and these people aren't people I know anymore. But um, but I can remember like these people being angry that this teenager was saying rude things about their ex. And I remember just being like, but you broke up with someone last year and you were doing way worse. Why are you expecting this 16-year-old to behave better than you? <laughs> why, why do you think we do that? Why do you think we place different values on young people than what we sometimes have on ourselves or, or an older generation? So I have done some thinking on that. And I feel like, I think, I think for some people, I think some people who are adults, I think they look back on the way they were as teenagers and they're really embarrassed. And I think when they see teenagers doing that thing, they can see that that teenager is going to be embarrassed by that behaviour like they did. So they want to be like, no, don't do that. Don't do that. That's not how we behave. No, shut it down. But the, the adult in question doesn't have the depth of knowledge of themselves to be able to communicate that properly. So they're just being told, like, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. You know, and um, there was a situation in my college that I worked in where a couple of the students tried to climb the outside of the walls, parkour style, um, and they were having a good laugh. One of the teachers, however, he had witnessed this happen before, and that student fell, and the and the and the situation that arose from that was bad, like hospital everything. Um, and he saw them doing it, and he was like, he flipped out. Uh, because he saw them doing that and immediately was like, oh, my God, they're going to hurt themselves. I've seen someone do this before with dire consequences. And he was just like, you know, and and those two students, like they went from obviously being really happy and jokey to just being like, oh, my, oh my God, oh, my God, am I going to get kicked out of college? You know, and um, what actually caused like, you know, but there was this behavior happened and they were told, no, don't do it. There wasn't actually a point where we sat down and had a big social conversation. I ended up having it with these students later on. And I talked about how um, the reason why that particular teacher was upset, because they were like, what's the problem? If I fall, it's my fault. It's my fault. And so we were, I then had a conversation with them saying, OK, so out in society, we all have a responsibility to each other. And part of your responsibility as an individual is not to do something that's going to upset someone else. So 
people care. They don't want to see other people get hurt. You know, you don't just see somebody walk. You wouldn't just see someone walking down the street, crack their head up and go, oh, well, should have looked where they were going. You know, you'd go, oh, my God. And you'd probably call the ambulance, you know. Um, people don't like to see that. So, you know, but when we kind of started talking about that, what's our larger social responsibility? You know, oh, they came out with like the most amazing. They were re- that, First of all, they were really grateful that I had that conversation with them. And they came out of all this really interesting like points where they kind of realized it clicked for them and they were like, oh, okay. And after that, they understood, you know, that um what what basically what had happened. Whereas usually that bit doesn't happen. You just say to that teenager, don't do that. And it's kind of left and no one kind of explains why or digs deeper into why. It's it's fascinating because you're describing driving instruction. <laughs> You know, the, the old style driving school, they would do something wrong. I can clearly remember on one of my lessons, my instructor shouting at me because I were overtaking someone that was turning left, I think, and never told me why, but just shouted at me. And the way we're yeah. doing it now, it's all right, well, this is wrong. Let's look at why. And in the same way that you've just done, it's not just we're going to say and preach at you. We have the conversation. So I find that the parallels there are fascinating, but I also... I'm intrigued a little bit because if you think about how many people didn't climb that wall that you were talking about, we notice the exceptions to the the rule, don't we? So if if we're talking about how, so one thing I, I said a bit recently is that I think the the current generation, seventeen to twenty five year olds, use that example, is the nicest and most compassionate and most considerate I've come across. I really do believe that. The example I've kept before is when I had some issues over the year and I had to pause on delivering driving lessons, the younger my student, the more helpful they were. The older my student, and they weren't unhelpful, but they were less helpful, if that makes Mm -hmm. sense. So I do really find that. But I just wonder if we use that same exception rule sometimes. You know, we'll see the one 17-year-old that's a bit of a dick and go, right, well, all 17-year-olds are like that. Do you think we're guilty of tying everyone with the same brush sometimes? Yeah, I mean... When you think about the way uh, a lot of the things in in the world at the moment that adults have to deal with, you know, uh, just it's quite exhausting life in general. So being able to and having to consider every single possible teenager you walk past as a holistic being who've got all their own thoughts and opinions that are different from this other person's is quite is quite exhausting to think about. It's much easier to just be like, go all 17 year olds like that. So that's why it happens like you know and i understand i understand the desire to want to tar everyone with the same brush you know that's where all prejudices come from really but yeah so i think people do that um but i think yeah it's more to do with there's also like lack of exposure like um if you're a parent you know you obviously see your child um more maybe you'll see their friends you might see kind of more teenagers than the average then of course you've got the teachers who see all different kinds but then teachers have kind of their own exhaustion that we're all we're all familiar with um but then of course people who don't have a huge exposure to teenagers um only kind of see what they're kind of being shown by people who maybe have their own agendas yeah 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 and we always the the negative ones are always shouted louder out there. The bad examples are always more prominent. But I think just the other thing I want to touch on with that, that that I'm curious about is I wonder how much of it is in my day syndrome. You know, we look at, you know, learning to drive, again, good example. I had to pay for my own lessons. I had to go and get a job and earn money to pay for my own lessons. A lot of my students are being paid for by the parents. So I could take the approach, well, what are you mourning about? 
you at least you're getting yeah. these paid. But I can remember my parents saying that to me about stuff back in my day, you know, and their parents would have said it's them in my day. So do you think there's aspects of that going on when we when we look at the younger generation in a certain way? Yeah. I mean, because you've got your you know your past better than anyone else in the world. And you can look at all that and go, God, well, that made me who I am. That was like really good experience in hindsight. And you feel like and you kind of because you because in hindsight, you feel like it was good. You know, if other people don't have that, you kind of sometimes feel a bit like, well, if you'd have had my experience, you'd get it. Um, I think sometimes, especially the older generations, forget that we're supposed to be making things better. So the fact that the younger generation want better for themselves and aren't satisfied with what we we are satisfied with is good. That's how you push for change. But I think a lot of adults that haven't necessarily come to terms with criticism, which a lot of people haven't, um, they sometimes see young people's saying this isn't, you know, this I deserve better as kind of criticizing, well, it was good enough for me. What are you saying that I'm not as good as you? Like, you know, and it's, it's kind of a defense mechanism on some adults' part to kind of just be like, you know, to see these teenagers saying, no, well, what you had isn't good enough for me. I want better. They're sort of seeing it as them going, I'm better than you, which of course isn't what they're doing at all. And they should be. And we should we should applaud that in young people. We should be pushing them to better than we had. I think that's such a brilliant way of putting it. I really do. Because I think that if you ask 99% of parents what they want, they want to look after their kids. They want the best. Everyone says that. I want the best for my children. I want That seems to be every parent's goal. They want to provide for their children, whether that's earning as much money and leaving it in their will or whether it's just giving them the best education they can or whatever. So we do that. But then with it, on the flip side, if the student, if, sorry, if the, the teenager asks the audacity to complain, then then we, we go the opposite way. And I, I find the I find it fascinating. I really do. So how can we, as adults, better empathise with the younger generation? And what can we do? And what would you say to, to people that are struggling to, to to manage this, where you've got the complaints around this stuff? How can, the key thing you said, actually, is, is the conversation. Is that the key, having the conversation? I think the part of having the conversation looking at why, you know, because um, I can remember when I was, like, told things, um, I've got a bit of a gross example of when I was in a store the other day of this kid who was just sniffing and the parent was like, blow your nose. And he was like, whatever. And she was like, just do it. And I can remember being like, see, now if someone said to that kid, please, you need to blow your nose because when you're in public, okay, sniffing, it sounds gross. It says to everyone, you've got a snotty nose and it's really unpleasant. And if you blow your nose, it makes everyone else in the area feel more comfortable you know, then, you know, that's what that's why you need to blow your nose. I, I just feel like that kid, maybe not in that moment, would have would have responded better to that. Because the thing is, I find, and I've had this with teenagers, if you explain something to them, even if in the moment they're like, oh, whatever, they might go away and the next day just be like, oh, I thought about that, actually. You know, so kind of just having that conversation of explanation does help. But one of the things I've kind of, um, one of the things I look at, I mentioned earlier about like looking at the way humans have evolved. So 250,000 years ago, 
we first started getting like upright walking apes and we've been human beings for mm, I want to say about 40,000 years we've only lived in this society for a couple of thousand if that and with the way the world is now only a couple of hundred so if we compare that to how we've evolved it is teeny tiny amount of time so the things that are kind of that we see in people and the way people behave and the way we behave at different developments have a place in society. So because they would have been because they would have been they would have evolved out. So the way teenagers are, if we if we do think about tarring them with a brush for a minute, the general idea teenagers kind of being like rejecting stuff, being like, oh, I'm not doing that stupid. Why are you doing that? Like that sort of attitude. Well, that must have served a purpose in our evolution or it wouldn't still be there. And when I think about it, I you know, I spend a lot of time thinking about this stuff. I think about how, well, when you're an adult, you've been you've been so exposed to society that you you know you're, you're kind of more agreeable to what's going on in it. Um, you have rent to pay, you have bills to pay, you have a mortgage to pay, you've got kids to worry about, you've got a job you've got to worry about going to, you've got this, you've got that, you've got you've got to you've got to get in the food, you know, you've got to do everything. That is that is your mind taken up by so much stuff that you don't have time necessarily to think about what could be improved in society. Teenagers don't have any of that. They don't have any of those things to worry about. And they also haven't been in society long enough, essentially, to to be convinced that it's the right way to be. So sometimes I think maybe teenagers are best place to look at that and go, why are you all doing that? That's stupid. You know, and granted, yes, they, you know, some of the things they're going to say is utter bollocks because <laughs> that's the case for all of us. <laughs> but there's going to be some kernels of truth in there. Like, you know, a lot of teenagers these days are very vocal about like about you know racism sexism homophobia they're very vocal in 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 opposition to this you know they're very like what the hell is this and they're not kind of a lot of them are not scared to make that point because they haven't been conditioned essentially by society yet to just just carry on just get on with it and so i think like you know when you look at it that's a kind of viewpoint I like to kind of introduce people to is to kind of be like, well, actually, the way they are maybe served a really good purpose in our society before now. I like it. I like it a lot. And I, I've always said I learn as much from my students as they learn from me. And not just teenagers, but at any age, you know, they're learning a new skill in driving. And, you know, one springs to mind immediately, which is I remember saying on the lesson to a student, obviously, this is what we do. And they said, it's not obvious to me. I'm like, yeah. right, I've learned that from you because you've had the confidence to tell me that. And so, yeah, I think that we we can learn from other people. But I think the other thing I was just thinking of then, you were giving the example of the, the kid in the shop that was sniffing. Yeah. And I thought, this, this generation that we're talking about has Instagram and TikTok and Snapchat. Yeah. Everything is based around social acceptance on a scale that no one has ever had to compete with before. And I think it's really easy for us as adults, and especially the older you get, to not consider that when mm-hmm. it can be ridiculously traumatic. And I just wonder, like an instance like you, the example you gave there, it's like, well, the parent is, if the kids find that embarrassing almost, you know, the parents said something in public or even in private, and the kids thinking, I might get shown up by this. And what they're, that's what they get judged by now. They're not assessed, they're not bothered about, oh, maybe I'm, not 
to explain this quite right, but they're not bothered by school reports and by grades as much, or they're not judged as much. They're actually judging a much grander scale on social acceptance on, for example, Instagram and TikTok. Do you reckon that's playing in as well? Well, if you think about it, you know, um, independence is a big deal for a lot of people. They, you know, being able to look after themselves and, and do their own thing. And, and actually in society, we we hold that quite high. Like, you know, like, oh, look, you know, if you can do everything yourself, it's kind of like, whoa, well done. You know, um, and teenagers don't really have the chance to do that for themselves because they're living at home. And that's fine. Um, you know, a lot of us go, God, I wish we could just be have someone else look after us. But they don't want that because they want to prove that they're capable. And most of all teenagers really have control over is their image and how they are seen by the world. So that's the one that is like kind of the one thing they do have control over it, which is why you get a lot of teenagers kind of acting up in front of their friends because they want to kind of be, you know, they want to kind of show look, this is the kind of person I am. Like they've got this idea in their head of who they want to be. So they're trying to put it out there. You know, they don't have Well, we've got, you know, I'm in my 30s now. So I've got 10, 15 years of proof of who I am. I don't have I don't feel I don't personally feel like I have very much to prove anymore. I do remember when I was 17 and I had these ideals in my head of who I wanted to be, but I had no proof I was like this, you know, because I hadn't done anything yet because I was only 17. And I was very keen on making sure people knew that I was this kind of person trying to get myself into those situations, which, you know, wasn't working. So I think like, yeah, what you're saying about the, um, what you're saying about the social acceptance is more important to them because it's kind of the one thing they do have control over and if you think about if the if you had if you had no control over how much money you were earning if you had no control over going to over what your job was if you had no control over your house because you lived with your parents if you had no control over anything except for that you'd probably take it pretty seriously as well yeah and it, it's currency, isn't it? You know, Instagram likes, Facebook likes, TikTok. Mm-hmm. No, the youth don't use Facebook. <laughs> you know, social media likes. It's currency. And, and it, whether we agree with it or not, it is. Yeah. But, it's social capital. And that's kind of all they've really got at yeah. that point in time. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. That's how everyone starts out. But I do feel like there's a lack of, coming from the adult, coming from the adult and older generations, there's a bit of a lack of, there's such a lack of respect for that. And these poor teenagers, it's kind of like, that's all they've got. Don't. Don't don't dismiss it so much. That's not very fair on them. Like, you know, there seems there does seem to be this attitude of just, oh, hurry up and grow up so you can get a job and actually contribute to society. Seems to be like the general attitude towards them. Yeah. And I can't believe I'm about to say what I'm about to say, but when I were a lad, right? <laughs> I had great like, conkers. I were rated on conkers. I used to get the best conkers and people would like not worship me, <laughs> worship me in school for yeah, having yeah. the best conkers. Now it's not conkers, it's social likes. But I, I want to give <laughs> you a, a specific example, and I'd be interested to get your thoughts on this, because the theory test. So when you're learning to drive, you have to take a theory. In the UK, I should clarify, because international listeners, um, you have to take a theory test. And a lot of learners, uh, predominantly younger learners, but learners in general, aren't enthusiastic about that theory test. And what I hear a lot of driving instructors say, they'll refer to them as being lazy. And I'm going to give you my thoughts before I ask on yours. So my thought is they're not lazy. I don't think it's lazy. I mean, there's always elements of lazy. enough you do get lazy people, that's the exception. Mm-hmm. Because the other thing I hear instructors say is they don't care. And I'm like, you're right, they don't. That's not important to them. 
the theory test isn't important to them. So part of my role is to show them why that's important. And I think that what we do is we see someone that the theory test doesn't matter to. We take offence at that, accuse them of being lazy, or use the idea of it not caring as, as a negative, when in fact they just don't necessarily see why it's important. So I don't realize I'm using a specific example there on the theory test, but I wondered what your thoughts would that be? I remember doing my theory test. I actually I learned to drive when I was uh, quite a lot older. Actually, I only passed my practical test last year. Oh, well I had my first scary aquaplane last night. We We're all okay, but that was pretty that was pretty hair raising. Um, but yeah, so the theory test. First of all, you kind of mentioned lazy a lot. And um, I've I've had this very strong opinion over the past few years that laziness is just a symptom of something else. Like, there's no such thing as lazy. If someone's being lazy, then there's something else going on. Either they don't see the importance, maybe they're suffering from some depression. You know, maybe they maybe they are too overwhelmed and can't make those first steps into doing it. You know, there's there's something else going on. No one is, you know, or you know, or they don't, or they don't care. And but then there's reasons to why they don't care. You know, laziness is just it's too easy phrase to use to dismiss. And it just you know, and I, I had this with some teachers that I talked to and be like, you can't just call him lazy. There's something else going on there. You know, either you haven't got across the importance of this, but I'd have some students who hated doing, you know, doing their English and they hate doing, they don't see why. And I'd say to them, honestly, uh, as a mechanic, I don't, I don't be, I don't, I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't lie to them. I honestly didn't, I honestly didn't feel like they had to do English either. If they couldn't stand English, I feel, I felt kind of like, that's all right. You can get someone else to do, to write your letter for you. You know, that's why we have each other. We're a species that, that collaborates. Um, but I used to say to them, society, however, sees it as important. And unfortunately, one of the big lessons you've got to learn in life is that you've got to jump through some hoops. And that's how I'd kind of explain it to them and just be, I just, I just usually would say like, I completely understand why you don't want to do this. I kind of agree with you. I said, but society has said in order to get that qualification you want, you need to do this and you need to kind of jump through these hoops. But with the theory test, I think, well, with driving, it's such a practical thing. And I mean, I did my theory test and finished it. I couldn't tell you what was on that test. As soon as I'd completed it, you know, all the things on the theory test. I mean, I'm, I mean, if I took it now, I might fail it. But like all the things on my theory test only become apparent when I see them in real life. I've been told all about aquaplaning, right? I've been told all about it. But until it actually properly happened to me yesterday, the water went all over the front of my windscreen. I could not see a thing, you know, um, no amount of explaining that would happen prepared me for it actually happening. You know, now I know it happens. It was really late at night and dark and raining. So like I couldn't see that the I couldn't see the puddle and suddenly water everywhere. And I just went, oh my God. You know, but but you could have talked to me about aquaplaning all day long until it actually happened to me. Didn't mean didn't mean anything. So, you know, and I think the student, I think that I think young people know that deep down. So that's why. They don't kind of always, you know, worry about the theory test, essentially, because they're just kind of they deep down know that really it's kind of pointless until you meet it in real life. I think the the laziness was the the, the, the key thing there, because I think that that applies to everything, doesn't it? In, in even, you know, regarding lessons. So I mentioned before about parents are paying for lessons. Well, if, the, if someone else is paying for your lessons, the chances are you're going to be less engaged. 
Yeah. Because you're you're not seeing the urgency necessarily, which means that you're more likely to cancel lessons because you're not money's not getting spent. So whether it's your theory test, whether it's the actual driving lessons, where you know, whatever it is, you know, the other one I see, and you may be familiar with the remember the show me tell me questions? Yes. Yeah. I see that all the time from driving instructor. I sent the show me tell me questions to my learners. I haven't been bothered to read them or watch a video because like, they don't care. And I don't mean that negative to the, the learner. They have no reason to care. Our job, in my opinion at least, is to give them a reason to care. Do you think yeah. that's the key thing? Yeah, I think that's a big key thing. Like your role in a driving instructor capacity is to be their guide. So, you know, like the show me, tell me questions, you know, you send them off to the student and if they do them immediately, great. And if they don't, you're kind of like, okay, maybe I need to change my approach then because they haven't done it this way. So then maybe you'll need to do it with them in the car and sit with them. And maybe at the end of each lesson, you just go over some of, you know, the show me questions you can get them to do, you know, because there's only so many of those. But the tell me questions, you can just be like, you can just feed the to them throughout various lessons you know and you know and do it like a driving instructor and do it like a the tester would you know like you know you've you've got to, and i found this with teaching you know like you've got to read what you're and the, the thing is so the one beauty of driving instructing is you're kind of more like a tutor because you've just got the one student like um so you know it's kind of your job in a way to read what this student is like and what this student is likely going to benefit from and if one approach doesn't work you know, in teaching, you can't just go, right, that didn't work, kick him out of my class. You know, you have to find a way to get that student through. And maybe she's going to respond better by talking with you. Maybe she's going to respond better by writing it down. Maybe she's going to respond better with a bit of role play, you know, because um, everyone learns differently. And we'll be back with more from Sam in just a moment. I want to give a big thank you to Alan Connor, Sarah Moore, Spencer Durant, Jamie Wicks, Wendy Barton, Paul Robinson, Bev Kavana, and Dave Ray, who are just some of the most recent signups to the Instructor Podcast Premium. So a big thank you to those guys for investing in me, investing in the Instructor Podcast Premium, and investing in themselves. If you would like to take our driving instructor developments to the next level, then for as little as £10 a month, you can get access to a whole host of audio, video, and written content by some of the best trainers in the industry around a variety of topics, including the standard trek, coaching, mindfulness, and all that kind of good stuff. And What's even better is you can access it all free for a week. You can sign up for a free week's trial to go in, get a taste for it, and uh, see how much you actually like it. And the best place to find out more is www.theinstructorpodcast.com or you can check out a direct link in the show notes or alternatively, drop me a message. Always happy to have a chat. But for now, let's get stuck back into the show. I reckon about half of the instructors listening to this will now be cheering you on and the other half have now switched off, which is <laughs> fascinating. But but no, you're right. I've I've sent the, the 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 questions out before and I get very little response. But when I say, shall we do one or two a lesson? Yeah, of course we can. And then learn it. So I think you're right. But I, I want to ask you this as well. I'm, I'm keen to hear your thoughts on this. The snowflake generation. What do you think to the phrase of the snowflake generation? Um, I think the people who use that phrase are more snowflakes than the actual than who they're claiming are snowflakes. I agree. <laughs> because um, you know, they're the ones who kind of get all uppity when, I don't know, the little mermaid becomes black mermaid. 
<laughs> you know, like, you know, they are, they, they're the ones freaking out over it and saying, oh, these politically correct snowflakes need to have this. And you're just kind of like, mm, well, actually, you're the ones making the fuss. <laughs> I was never going to watch that film, but I'm going to complain about it anyway. Yeah, yeah pretty much. And to be honest, a lot of the things the younger generation are asking for and demanding is actually just people being nicer to each other and more considerate. Like, you know, they're pointing out things like saying, uh, that's not a very nice way to refer to someone in a wheelchair. It's like, what that's good. That's good. We shouldn't we shouldn't be referring to people in wheelchairs in, in a bad way. You know, it's I think it's just people, like I said before, and some adults who haven't learned how to understand criticism. I I think I'm fanboying a bit here, right? Because I quite often get people on the show that make me change my way of thinking. And you are A, reaffirming it and B, explaining it better than I ever could. Uh, so, you know, this is great for me. That I, I, That's what I've said for a while. I think this generation just want people to be nice. And I get really annoyed sometimes when people say, but the world, and this is me, you know, being a snowflake because I get triggered because when people say the world isn't fair, you know, and I'm like, yeah, but we can try and make it fair just because other people are making it fair. Yeah. I mean, so I'm actually going through an ADHD diagnosis. Um, and um, I know I had uh, I had a teacher say to me, oh, um, I used to I she, and she, she said to me in the college and she said, oh, I used to um, I used to be really hard on, on students who claimed they had ADHD because I'd just be like, oh, just get on with it. None of us want to do that thing. And she was like, but now I realise it's uh, now I realize it's actually something. And I was kind of like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And in my head, I was like, yeah, but all you had to do was listen to what that student was saying. And I had that before with others, with uh, with some teachers who'd just be like, I had an ADHD student who couldn't get on with his work. And he was kind of saying to the teacher, yeah, I really want to be here. I don't know why. I just can't do it. I just can't do it. And the teacher was saying, and the teacher, he was saying like, oh, well, you know, it's hard for me to believe that, you know, if you, you know, if you want, if you wanted to do it, then you'd be doing it. And, um, you know, and he was saying like other people don't want to do that work, but they're getting on with it. And I was kind of like, yes, but he's not being able to get on with it. So clearly there's a problem. And he's trying to explain this to you. But he can't. He's a teenager. He hasn't got like I can say all this now because I'm in my 30s. I've had this much experience to be able to actually put this into words. If you'd have just listened to the person saying they're struggling and rather than saying, oh, everyone has to get on with it, deal with it. And rather than saying, OK, let's find a way you're struggling. Maybe people wouldn't need all these diagnoses now. Because yeah. if everyone had just listened to when people said I'm struggling in whatever way they've said it, then and that's and that is I think all the younger generations now are asking. I think that's um I just said about people changing my thinking and how you weren't because I was agreeing, but I think you have slightly there because I'd not looked at it that way before. Of I don't need the person I'm working with or the person I'm talking to to tell me they've got ADHD or tell me they've got anxiety or, or whatever. Yes, it might help me initially if they did tell me that, but I don't need to know that. I can just listen and respond. Yeah. You know, if, if someone's saying I'm not comfortable driving on the main road today, can we go somewhere quiet? We could have a conversation about it, or it could be that I just say, yeah, okay, or whatever. I don't need to know the reason why all the time. And I think that we 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 look for that and we like you said earlier it's like we look at ourselves and go, well i don't struggle with this so the fact that you are struggling with this you must be in the wrong because i can't be in the wrong so therefore you fix yourself 
And um, yeah, it's fascinating. Um, snowflakes, I love them. Um, okay. <laughs> what I just want to kind of wrap up on this topic just a little bit by asking if you would have a message for anyone that what would you say to someone that did take that approach of this generation is snowflakes or this generation is lazy, you know, that, that makes that kind of sweeping comment? What, what message would you have? I would say that uh, back when I worked in science, um, one of the big things is that if you have a theory, you try to disprove it because if you can't disprove it, then it's right. So I would say if you think the younger generation are snowflakes, try and disprove it. If you can't disprove it, then you're right. So go ahead and try, you know try to see them in a different light. And if you and if and actually go out there and try and engage them, try and talk to them. If that's not available, you know, just have a look in the spaces that they're in. Have a look through TikTok. See it. See the sort of stuff that they're looking at. You know, and you know if you still come out with the idea that they're just snowflakes, then. I guess you have can't. I guess you weren't able to disprove your theory, but I think that your struggle to, I think I think your struggle to um, to maintain the idea they're just snowflakes. If you actually kind of, if you listen to them with more of an open mind, rather than if you listen to them but just kind of going, you're right, but what have you got to say? You know, you've already kind of decided that they're idiots. I like it. I like it. Let, let's let's move along then, because you did mention there about the the role of the driving instructor, and you spoke about. The, being like a tutor and I, I quite like that idea i think that sits in quite nicely what we do in a lot of ways but you as we say in, in this month as we're recording you um qualified as a coach and as a teacher what's the difference so the difference i think so as a coach i try to i guide people to where they want to go so and sometimes I help them figure that out as well. Um, so I specifically work with people on the career side. I work with people who um, kind of know that things aren't right and need things to change. Sometimes they know where they want to go. Sometimes they don't. Like I work with a lot of people who, in fact, actually one of my first clients was a driving instructor. And um, she, although she loved driving instructing, she's kind of found out that what she liked was talking to people. Mm. and. And also like talking to a lot of teenagers. And so she was then interested in taking her career into becoming a counsellor um, because like she just loved that so much from her favourite part of the job was that the amount that teenagers would be like and just splurge everything <laughs> to her, you know. So, um, so yeah, with coaching, I sort of help people. I'm kind of there almost I kind of think in metaphors a lot. So I'm sort of walking with them, holding sort of the torch out and kind of being like, oh, well, you know, and they're kind of like guiding where the torch goes. And then when we decide on a place, I help them get there. With teaching, I'm sort of in the front going, come on, come on. Like, let's go. Like, we go, we got to go this way. Um, so with teaching, I guess it's kind of like, I've got knowledge to give them. And um I can see them down the bottom of the mountain and I'm kind of like, kind of like being like, yeah, come on, let's, let's, let's climb. And then when one of them has an issue, I'll go and see them and maybe put a ladder in there, you know, like, um, so like it's kind of more teaching is sort of bringing them to me, bringing them up to my level of knowledge and coaching is actually like uh, more freeing. I'm like, obviously the, my, my clients with coaching is like they're deciding where to go and I'm helping them get there. So I'm helping in both cases, I'm helping them get there. But in one case, 
I'm also telling them the destination. I think we need to get Ian Blake who does the uh, the artwork for my episodes to to do diagrams of that. One of you holding <laughs> yeah. a torch and one of you with a beak and the ladder going. I, do you know what? I love that, that analogy. I think that's great. So as someone that, that learned to drive recently, mm-hmm. what do you think would work better for learner drivers? Being taught, being coached, or a combination of the, the two? Definitely a combination. Because I think if I were to say I were to coach someone on learning to drive, I'd want, you know, the coaching elements of that, which which does go into teaching a bit, but ne- the teacher themselves doesn't necessarily do it until a problem arises. But at first, with with teaching, I'd be interested in what learning to drive means to them. Why do they want to learn to drive? Like, you know, because if it's just, oh, my parents are paying, so I might as well, then I'm kind of like, mm, not good enough. Tell me why you want to drive. You know, like, you know, I'd want to know, like, what is it for them? For me, it was freedom, like, and also being kind of available to help. Like, you know, I wanted to be in a position where, like, if someone I knew suddenly needed to go to the hospital, then I'm like, right, yeah, cool, get in the car, let's go. I had a friend who, her and her daughter who couldn't drive, got stuck in the pouring rain, like, you know, really far away. And I can remember at the time thinking, oh, if I could drive, I'd go get them, you know, like. So being of service was important to me. And that's the sort of things I'd want to get out of the person. Because of course, when they then start to when they're then starting to wane a bit and, and stuff, you know, um, then you can just be kind of like, I know it's hard, but remember what you're gonna get out of this. You're gonna get freedom. And my first driving instructor, I went through a few because I went from London down to Cornwall in in, in the middle of uh learning to drive my first driving instructor she actually she knew a lot about all the things i wanted to achieve and she was like and she was like oh you know you want to go abroad you want to do all these things and just having 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 a driving license from england is such a powerful thing you know you'll be able to drive anywhere and i just want this i want this for you is what she'd tell me which was really nice and really motivating so i'd kind of definitely so i'd definitely pull that stuff out of coaching just to kind of be like what's what's your real end goal not just i can drive a car like what? What does that mean to you? Like and that's, and, I, and I'm sure you've. I know you've interviewed coaches of performance. I'm sure they've kind of, they've kind of touched on that sort of thing before. But obviously, teaching wise, you've got the knowledge that they need. You know, so you know, there's obviously the part where you are teaching. Um, but obviously, the diff. Say like with um, but I like the idea of like yeah, driving instructing being a bit more like tutoring because of course you're doing working with that one student at one time. You know, you haven't got like five students in a car <laughs> yeah. and they're all kind of driving along and you're just kind of jumping between cars. <laughs> um, that sounds like a nightmare. That would be a nightmare. <laughs> imagine the amount of imagine the amount of collisions they'd be. We all um, drive into each other. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Um, but we were speaking about coaching, because you said earlier about the, the game changing aspect of what you're doing. You bring in uh, zoology and science and evolution into your coaching. Just tell me a bit more about that. That's that's interesting. So I actually uh, I recorded a video on this. I'm going to put it on my TikTok soon. Um, ever since I was younger, uh, a lot younger, like when I was early teens, uh, I was we got that question sometimes. What makes us human? And uh, I always used to, this, and this I don't know this this caused me to kind of be more like than most other people because other people would just say things like, "Oh, we care about each other. We give each other hugs. Yeah, that makes us human." Anyway, let's go on with our lives, and I'd just be like, "Wait, <laughs> wait, wait, hang on, <laughs> hang on." Um, 
And so coming out from a zoology perspective, when people would say things like, oh, well, we care about each other, I'd be like, well, lots of animals care about each other. Wolves care about each other. Deer care about each other. Ants care about each other. You know, that doesn't define us as human. Um, and I kind of ended up coming up with my own answer, which um, was humans are very creative. We like to, uh, we like to, we like to have the ability to, and when I say creative, I don't just mean painting and, 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 and sewing and stuff, you know, like we creatively problem solve. We like to have the, when we're presented with a problem, aside from the fact that a lot of us have been taught that being wrong is terrible and we're all scared of failure now. Let's put that aside for a minute. <laughs> um, generally speaking, when there's a problem, the sort of human reaction is kind of like, hmm, okay, how can I solve this? And and kind of like solve things quite creatively and put and put things out into the world. We like to create things to go out into the world, be it physical things or ideas or, or you know, maths. In, in maths is creative. I mean, I'm no good at maths, but like, you know, people – People come up with and discover equations to describe things, you know, like that's creative. So that's like one of them. And then another one is curiosity and exploring stuff. And once again, I don't literally mean just exploring another country, though that could be it, but like exploring a new hobby, exploring driving, for example, um, or exploring a new language, exploring playing the piano. You know, we like to go out and explore. We like to, we like to, um, we're very interested in things. You don't generally see other animals being anywhere near as interested in other animals as we do. We have zoos that we go to and we're fascinated by every creature we see. Dolphins sometimes get a bit fascinated by us, but not to the extent that we do. We follow other animals. We harass them in our jeeps so we can watch them and see what they're doing. We create cameras to go out and watch and see what they're doing. You know, it's not quite on the level as other as other creatures. Um, so that's another bit. The third bit is um, is caring about others, um, but that could mean other animals, could mean other people. Just collaborating, we wouldn't have built these all these cities that we've got without collaborating with each other. We like to build things together. And then the fourth bit, we really love stories. We love storytelling, be it actually reading a book or going and hearing the latest gossip down the pub, you know. And there's no one thing that defines us, but combination of those four things are sort of what I've kind of like come up with after years of thinking about it and generally speaking if people have something they're passionate about it's one or a combination of those four things and so that's kind of where I base a lot of my coaching in is kind of like being like okay well let's if these are the things that make us human these are the things that make us thrive these are the things that people thrive on so we need to kind of like build a world where people are able to engage in these things because we love these things. That's what all humans love, one or more of those things. And that's kind of where, and I kind of got this from looking at other animals. And also I kind of said, and also I kind of thought about it like, well, when you get like a tiger in a zoo, it would be considered cruel to have that tiger not be able to express its behaviour. You know, if we kind of put a tiger in the water, everyone would be like, well, hang on, that's not fair. It can't be a tiger in the water. Like you've got to give it, you've got to give it a forest and, you, and you've got to, you know, you've got to give it all the things that tiger needs to be a tiger. So I'm kind of like, right. Okay. So if we do that for those animals, why aren't we doing it for us? How can we do that? Well, I wrote a big thing the other day about, I wrote a big article the other day called the insufferable state of jobs today 
which um, was basically talking about, and I mentioned a couple of those concepts in there and kind of talk about how we're sort of a coming out of an age in the Industrial Revolution where all we needed was people to just shovel coal into the furnace. That's just what you do all day. You just shovel coal into the furnace, just shovel it in, shovel it in. That's all you need from nine o'clock in the morning to like 10 o'clock at night, just shovel coal in because we need to produce, we need to produce, we need to produce. Um, that was very, probably very boring for people and it was probably quite the struggle for a lot of people to get done. It's done now, but there's still sort of this attitude in a lot of working environments and in school, the schools where a lot of this starts, that you are just, you're in at this time and you finish at that time regardless of your energy levels, regardless of how you feel, regardless of what suits better for you, you know, you're in this time, you finish that time, you focus for that entire time, you stay focused. Whereas in reality, people fluctuate throughout the day, you know, um, obviously I'm speaking from my experience of like, um, you know, a bit of an ADHD experience, but I imagine it's probably similar for people who don't have it as well. You know, there are times when actually you need to go back to bed and that's actually what's best for you and would also probably be best for your work, actually, to go and have an extra hour sleep. Like, you know, and I feel like we're at a point in time now where we can incorporate that into into the world, into our lives more, like into jobs where, you know, we can have systems, not necessarily that everyone can just go to bed when they want. But I mean, like, you know, actually, I kind of would love to see schools just focus on what someone's strengths are. Let a kid explore stuff. When they discover the thing they want to do, great. They can go focus on that thing. They don't have to worry about maths. Someone else will be good at maths. Like, and we don't focus on it's kind of like at the moment, it's kind of like, oh, you like this thing. Well, that's great, but you're terrible at this. So we need to focus on this thing that you're terrible at, which just ends up making people feel awful about themselves. And like, this is boring. I don't want to do this. I want to be doing this. Like, you know, and I kind of feel like, well, People do still learn what they need to learn from it. You know, like when I did zoology, I could I could do all the maths when it came to an, analyzing the home range of a badger. I could do that because it was relevant to what I was trying to find out. And, you know, actually nurturing people to kind of be who they are. My tagline on my business is the world needs you to be you. Because I kind of feel like, well, actually, it would probably solve all the world's problems if everyone was just happily themselves, because we're creative problem solvers. But people are so exhausted from working jobs that aren't very human friendly. You know, and school isn't very human friendly. If we think about the way, you know, humans, those four things that make humans human, a lot of things stamp those things out. And I kind of go, and I'm kind of like, why? I wonder if our ancestors are rolling over in their graves, looking at what we've created, going, what are you doing? <laughs> it's it's fascinating. I mean, you've said so much that I want to touch back on, but I can't possibly touch back on it all. But, uh, you know, I had, I had this co same conversation with someone the other day. Um, I was saying about myself, I rarely do anything between one and three, um, like schedule. So I just recorded now. We, we started recording at three. Yeah. I generally will not record a podcast between one and three because my energy level is just completely nosedive. I can do lessons then because I'm out and about doing lessons anyway. So my energy levels are up anyway. They're kind of bouncing about all over the place. But if I'm at home, like I've been today, and then I had to start recording at half one, 
it's a very different podcast. It's a much worse episode. <laughs> so I, I schedule my day around that. And I was speaking to this other person. They were saying they quite often get like a burst of energy about nine o'clock and they want to go work and they go on computer and start typing, but then they feel guilty. So they need to step away. I'm like, no, no, that if that's your time, go and do it. You know, yeah, even absolutely. if it's just an hour, that that's what, what you need for you. And, you know, I look at teenagers, we go back to the teenage aspect and their, their sleep cycle is different to an adult's. Their sleep cycle, and for anyone listening, go back and check out the episode I did on this with Haley Field back in season five, because we spoke about this there, but the sleep cycle of teenagers is generally different to an adult. They are programmed to sleep later and get up later, but we try and make them conform to us. So we'll have students coming to us saying, can I do a seven o'clock, eight o'clock lesson? And all right, it's well within our rights as instructors to say no, because I'm not working that time. No one has to say yeah, but we shouldn't look down upon them for that. Should we? That's they're giving us a time that suits them. You know, we, the, we have the conversation or we say, no, we shouldn't be looking down on them. I remember I couldn't, I hated getting up in the morning for school. And um, I actually got to the point where, no, I ended up doing okay. I have I have a degree and I have a teaching degree now as well. So I actually have two degrees, um, you know, so by, I'm technically, so I think that technically means I'm a success by education standards, <laughs> I go. think. Right, I'm interrupting because in which case I'm a failure. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're not. Well, you're not to me. Thank you. Um, but um when I was going to school, I, I I just got in later and later. And I remember like literally like at the end of my final year, I wasn't bothering to get to school until 12 o'clock. I, I just didn't, I was like, I was just like, no, I don't want to get up early. It makes me miserable. I hate it. And I just kind of stood up for myself and was like, I'm not going to do it. Deal with it. What are you going to do? Like, and they couldn't do very much actually. Um, I was a bit of a night. I think I was a bit of a nightmare for some of my teachers. <laughs> um, but I can remember back then just being like, oh, there's actually been research to prove that teenagers have a different sleep cycle. And I was like, and I remember thinking like, well, great. What's being done with that research? It's not like schools have now changed. You know, schools have realised that are now changed to be opening later. You know, obviously as a teen, obviously now I, I understand all the other considerations, like, you know, the adults who work there who need it to be a certain time. Also the fact that a lot of school is kind of getting you prepared for what, like, you know, future work is going to be like and that sort of thing. But as a teenager, I was just like, well, what's the point then? What's the point in all this research showing that this is actually what's best when no one's doing anything about it? And I've kind of grown up to be more understanding, but also kind of like, yeah, teenage Sam, I get it. I get where you're coming from. I understand why you're frustrated. I seem to recall reading there was a school in America where they trialled it for like a few years, uh, starting at 11 o'clock or something like that in the afternoon. And the success rate of students just skyrocketed, but the adults didn't like doing it. So they then yeah. took it back. So it proved a success, but they, they took it and back. that's the thing. You, with school, okay, like now you can politically argue what school's about, and I'm not going to go into that <laughs> here, but school, you're supposed to be providing a service to those teenagers. So why is it to suit the adults? And don't get me wrong, I'm not. I'm not saying like, oh, now yet now all all teachers we all we all have to work until like eight nine o'clock at night now because that's not fair either. But the conversation isn't being had, mm. and if the conversation is being had, teenagers certainly aren't being asked to weigh in, and that's yeah. not really fair. Yeah, again, dismissing the opinion of someone because they're young and we're providing the service yeah. or whatever, but. The, the other thing that I wanted to touch on, again, combining a few things we spoke about, you mentioned about creative problem solving and how mm -hmm. we do that. It's like 
I try and apply that to lessons now as well, and I think more and more instructors are, in that rather than just telling people what to do, and again, caveat for anyone listening, I don't mean let them try and work out how not to crash into the bus themselves. You know, we would stop them crashing into the bus. But, you know, stationary, for example, we'd let them problem solve. And that just genuinely works better nine times out of ten. There'll always be a time where a student says, I'm struggling, can you tell me? Yeah, of course I will, no problem, or, or whatever. Yes, that creative problem solving just works an absolute treat. But I also want to touch back on the other thing you said right at the start. I'd just be interested to get your thoughts on this because you did raise it. Because also, uh, you mentioned failure. You spoke about failure a little bit and the sort of the right and wrong aspect of it. And it's something I've just been writing about in the the book I'm hoping to have out early next year about failure. What what are your thoughts on failure? Because for me, it's as you said, it's this this big thing now and it's the end of the world if someone fails a test or it's the end of the world if someone just does something wrong what's your thoughts on that i mean i think a lot of this stems from school like i think you find quite a lot of uh young people who say got um uh got like homeschooled by a decent homeschool parent um usually aren't as fearful of things like um of things like failure like not necessarily it depends on the person obviously and i don't have any stats to back that up so don't so don't so yeah so don't ask me for that but um they but a lot of school is kind of you know immediately sets the idea that in order to get praise you have to get it right and, and you know children children like praise adults like praise dogs like praise everyone likes praise you know that's what they want that's what they want they want the teacher to be happy with them so they kind of learn that they have to get it right and that's what matters and like, and where, and I think a lot of that has come from the fact that you know teachers have big classes now, so they sort of you know they you know they can't afford to actually have a class of thirty kids who all explore getting the wrong answer. You 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 that'd be the whole day one lesson. So you know that's a bit of a problem. Um, you know that is is something that is talked about a lot in like a lot of schools. Is like the problem of class sizes now and not enough teachers and not enough funding and all that sort of thing. Um, but like I feel like that's where failure um, originates. The fear of failure is like, and, and people who are more disposed to say being anxious, it really affected them. Because uh, I would say I'm not particularly fussed about failing something these days, but I don't suffer with anxiety. But but of course, different people do, and that's really affected those 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 sorts of people. So like, I think it comes kind of from the fact that our school system sort of is sort of just sort of getting people through now, rather than kind of like looking at each individual and um, working on you know their ways of thinking. Because like you know, if I as a teacher, whenever I, if a student had a wrong answer, my kind of natural thing was like, I want to know how you got to that answer. You know, um, and obviously it's still, you know, that wasn't ideal, like, because a lot of students immediately knew that meant they were wrong and they were just like, oh, I don't, I don't know, please, please stop talking to me. <laughs> you know, like, so, um, you know, but in an ideal world, I'd have loved to have been able to just talk to them and be like, oh, okay, so how'd you come to that? And like they kind of tell me, and I'm like, that's a really interesting thought process. That is great. Now, the answer I was looking for was this. However, what you've raised is really interesting, and the way you thought about it, you know, is really good. You know, like, um, but a lot of students just hear the bit that that wasn't what I was looking for because that's sort of what they've been trained to kind of to to listen out for. Um, I mean, I feel like in our well, 
once again, I look at this through the through a zoology lens, which is when a lion doesn't doesn't successfully hunt. It doesn't just go and cry about it. It goes, oh, well, I'll try again. Or like you know, like you know. So I feel like the, probably the deep. I feel like I wonder if in like not that necessarily. Well, some animals might um, have a much uh, just as complicated communication system as we do. We just don't know that yet. I wonder if there would be some cases where failure isn't even a word to them. Mm-hmm. Because it would just be, ah, didn't catch a zebra. All right, let's go for wildebeest. And that's it. And that's it. Just, they're just going, now they're going to go hunt that wildebeest instead. Oh, they didn't catch that wildebeest. Right, they're going to go hunt that warthog. You know, like, that's just it. There's no kind of like, oh, my God, I didn't catch that zebra. Oh, I'm a terrible lion. I'm a failure at being a lion. Whereas we do think that. You know, and it takes over a lot of our lives. And I think it's kind of been manufactured essentially from a kind of like, well, like I said, when we had the Industrial Revolution very recently, and there sort of was a right way to be and a wrong way to be. And if you were, and if you had skills of X, Y, Z, great, perfect, we can use you. But if your skills were H, W, and S, sorry, not you, get out. No, we need X, Y, and Z. And what you've said there is a lot of parallels again with what we do on lessons now. You know, you're talking about the the schooling system. It's like I I see the after effects of that. You know, I ask a student what they want to do on a lesson, and they're like, "What? I can have a say in this?" You know, it's like they'd never been asked their opinion before. And then, like you say, you ask a question and they give a wrong answer. So then inquire about that. It's like. They don't know what's going on. Like I've never been asked to expand on this before. I've always just been told I was wrong. And I find it fascinating. You go down this whole rabbit hole of ideas and thought process, which the thought process, I think back to school, I remember my maths exams. I always say, show you're working because you might get the answer wrong, but you get bonus points yes. for your working. That's that. You know, on a lesson, it's like, well, you've got your bonus points for working out because that were marvellous. Yes, we still crashed, but you've got the, <laughs> yes. the premise right on approach. So, yeah, I think that's that's, that's really interesting. Um, so I, I do want to move on again because to call you a careers coach would be, I think, doing you a massive injustice. <laughs> but I think to oversimplify it, that would be a reasonable term, I'm guessing. Um, so I, I kind of want to ask a little bit about how we can find out what we want to do because almost everyone falls into driving instructors role no one goes to school and at school they get asked what they want to do when they go older and they go i want to be a driving instructor you know we we become driving instructors through circumstance a lot of the time and there's a well-trodden path in the industry, which is um, you work in a franchise, then you go independent, and then you start a franchise. That's kind of the well-trodden path. And, and you mentioned an instructor you worked with before who has now you know, become a counsellor, or I think you said counsellor. Yep. And a lot of instructors do do different things. They come up and they work for a bit, and then they get this inspiration. They go off and do something else, or you know, the idiots start a podcast or whatever. So. <laughs> How, if someone was stuck in a bit of a rut, whether that's, I suppose, driving instructors on a driving instructor podcast, someone stuck in a bit of a rut as an instructor and not sure what they want to do, how would they go about starting to find out what's next? Well, it's funny you call it what's next because I actually have a, a session called What Now, right. which is entirely geared up for people who um, want to, you know, maybe are kind of feeling like, oh, maybe this isn't for me. What do I do? What do I do now? Um, but, um, I think the first thing that I like to get people to think about is um, there was 
for a long time, um, there was this whole idea of there's your one thing. And when you discover that one thing, your life will be amazing. Well, I think that's the biggest load of horse crap because human beings, we change, you know, the, the experiences we have and the people we meet change us. That's what happens. The idea, and when I was younger, I wanted to be a marine biologist. That's all I wanted to do. That's all I wanted to be. I, I watched Free Willy as a kid and I was just like, oh my God, killer whales. All I cared about was killer whales. And um, I went to uni, I did zoology, and uh, funnily enough, I, as you can see, I'm not working with killer whales, and I'm perfectly happy with that. Um, but looking back on it now, and actually when I got towards the end of my degree, I was a bit like, oh, I mean, actually just studying the animals like now has been fine, and I'm kind of okay with, with that. Um, but um, I was kind of like, the idea now that one thing would have got me through my entire life one thing would have got me through half a decade or more of me being interested in and pursuing on feels so restricting and ridiculous. And so I think as a society, we need to drop this one thing idea because it's not going to happen. And also you might find your one thing and you do it. And then 20 years later, you're like, well, I've done it now. You know, I've done it and it was great, but I'm done. I'm done. I've done it. Like, you know, and then you move on to something else. So, like, you know, the idea, first of all, the idea that the thing you're doing right now might not be your thing that you want to do forever. That's okay. That's, in fact, that is a normal, I think, is something that needs to be more talked about. Um, and also, I think sometimes people see themselves as a bit of a failure when they're, like, say, in their 30s and they haven't found that thing they want to do. And it's like, no, no, no that's fine. That's fine. You've You've still spent all of your life up till now exploring stuff and that's all valuable you know and if all you do throughout your life is explore new things that's a great life so first of all yeah this idea that like you know one of your endeavors is going to be your forever thing it's unlikely so some people have done it yeah but i think that's kind of the exception rather than the rule so you know being comfortable with the fact that whatever you're doing right now be it driving instructing may only be a temporary thing is fine just but whatever you but whatever you're doing with driving instructing all those skills are going to inform your next step i mean i now do all this coaching which is nothing to do with marine biology or zoology but it kind of is because of all the information i've drawn out today talking to you you know i've now got this i've now got this view which is pretty, which from what I've seen, granted, I have not met every single coach in the world, but from what I've seen is a pretty unique viewpoint. And it means that people come to me and are really interested in what I've got to say, because I've got a really different, because I've got a really different way of looking at it. And I mean, I had a student I was working with, and he was interested in going to do oceanography. And he said to me one day, Oh, the only problem is, he said, I've got dreams to earn big. I want to be earning a lot of money. He said, if I go and become an oceanographer, then I'm only going to, what, 50, 60K is like my top? And I, I want to earn more than that. And he said a lot of people have laughed at him because they're like, 60K is plenty. And I'm kind of like, well, no, hang on. If that's what you want to strive for, then don't anyone tell you that that's not acceptable. And I said to him, but if oceanography is what you're interested in now, I'd say go and do it because I don't know about you, but... <laughs> If you're going to like say some big talk and there's a load of business people and there's one person doing a talk on 
how I grew my business from working in business for years, business, business, business. I'm a business person and a business this and business that. And then there's someone who's doing a talk saying, what I learned about growing a business from oceanography, man, I'm going to that talk. Because what business person is saying has probably been talked about loads on, on Google. <laughs> I can just search up, you know, so like, you know, what you're doing now is going to inform your future. You know, you've none of your, nothing you've done to date is a waste. You know, it's yeah. going to inform you. And then like with driving instructing, like, the, you know, teaching to drive, driving is a big deal skill out in the world. And there's so many avenues that I can think of off the top of my head that is driving, like stunt driving, you know, um, or driving like, or driving like, you know, pickup trucks or like, you know, HGV driving or off-road driving, you know, but then all the things that come with that, you know, is that going to be like, I, my mother works in a theatre and, um, you know, one of the guys I knew from that was he was like, he was like the transport officer for one of the theatres. So he was in charge of like getting all the instruments and all the people and driving them off to wherever the hell they were going. You know, there's so many avenues with driving. That's driving. And then there's so many avenues with instructing. Like, you know, my my first client who went to be a counsellor because the skills she got from driving instruction informed that. So, and we're humans, we're creative. Sometimes you only need someone mentioning that. Sometimes, you know, you just kind of think about doing something in a certain way because that's how you've been taught. And then you go, and then someone says, but what about this? And you just go, oh my God, and there you go. It yeah. all opens up. Well, do you know what? It's fascinating. Again, there, there there's so many people listening to this podcast that will listen to a guest that they would never have listened to unless, you know, without hearing them on this podcast. And that changes the direction they're going in, whether it's just a different type of training or whether it's a different you know, approach they take to teaching or whatever, which I find fascinating. And, and, you know, this podcast came about because of exactly what you were just saying. It's because I was bored of listening to everything else in the industry talking about the same thing. Uh-huh. Oh, I want to hear different things. That's why you're on today, because yeah. this is a different take on this stuff. It's from the outside perspective. It's someone, and kind of going right back to what we said at the start of the show, you can't talk about the nuances of being a driving instructor, but you can still give your perspective on stuff. And that's brilliant. You know, a fresh approach, a fresh idea. And and yeah, I think that anyone that's listening that, that is a bit bored or a bit stuck in a rut or thinking, where can I go next? Listen to that because it, it doesn't matter. Just do what you fancy. And and I get bored every three years. I need to make a change in something every three years. And I'm coming up to three years in this podcast and I feel it coming. There's some sort of a change coming. So, um, yeah, I like that. I like that. I'm two years, two years for me in a career. And then I usually have to make some kind of change. I'm only playing top trump, so you've got two degrees and I've got none. I do three years, you do two. Yeah. <laughs> um, I do want to ask you two last things uh, because I think these are, are, are really interesting. The stuff I've seen you talk about again. Now, this first one I think is going to be really relevant for driving lessons, and it's a bridging statement. What's mm-hmm. a bridging statement? Because I think this is is brilliant. I've not heard it before. The bridging statement. Okay, so it's kind of what bridges two things together. So you think of an example, you know, like so – Say you've got the way I kind of use bridging statements is stuff like, so say, for example, you've got a student who doesn't believe they can pass. You know, they're just kind of like, look, I want to, but I just I just don't believe, you know, I just can't. I can't do anything. I, I never, I'm no, you know, I couldn't pass my exams. You know, I'm not going to pass this. You know, they're just stuck in that. I can't do it. So the bridging statement is about getting them to, 
if you're not going to get, you know, you're not going to convince that student by just saying to them, yes, you can, yes, you can, yes, you can. You ask them what they feel comfortable in believe, you know, about what they feel comfortable in believing. So maybe they're not ready to believe they can pass, but they might be ready to believe that they can do a parallel park. Great. And then you can, and then next, maybe like, maybe, maybe then they're ready. And maybe after that, they're ready to believe that they can do maneuvers in general. And maybe after that, they're ready to believe that, you know, they can handle junctions. You know, you know, you kind of build it up and you bridge it all the way up to there. Because, of course, you know, somebody who doesn't believe that they're going to pass, they don't believe it. There's no amount of you saying you're going to, you'll be fine. They're not, they're not going to. Like, you know, um, you know, uh, you can't just convince someone of something by saying, yes, you can. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. It's never worked. You know, I invite any listener to say, has it ever worked for you? Probably not. So, you know, you kind of bridge it to that, you know, so like it's the stepping stones. That that thing is clearly too overwhelming for that student. So we take one step. They can take a step up that hill, but the top of the hill is too much. That's okay. We don't have them. To, we don't need them to look at the top of the hill. We only need them to look up that one step and then that next one and then that next one. And then like you build their confidence that way, because if you've got someone who doesn't believe they're going to pass, so they're probably not going to pass. So then you just keep working with them. I like it. I've got a rule in my car that student can't say they can't do it. They have to say they can't do it yet. Yes, that's fine. That's how I work. Yeah. So that's um, a bridge. That's a good bridge. The the other one I want to ask you about just briefly is the the to do list and the done list. I like the idea of having a done list, which I saw in one of your TikToks. Tell me about your done list. I like having a done list. It's because the to do list is too much. It's just and also when I do something, what I just wipe it off. As if that was, as if that was great. I've got my to do list. I've got it right there, and uh, so I do it and I just wipe it off. And then it's like dismissed. It's like it didn't matter, you know. Like it's like great. Now I'm just. When do I get to celebrate that I've done the thing and I've got to cross it off? So I have my done list, so that if I'm like feeling crap about my to do list, I can look at the done list and be like, but look at all these things I've done. And that could be a nice thing to like have with a student when they're kind of like when they're not. You know, when they're feeling like they can't do something, you'd be like, okay, well, let's not worry about that. But let's for a minute look at all the things you can do. Isn't that great? Look, you did that parallel park amazingly. That's so good. You know, I'm terrible at parallel parking. Terrible. So, so am I. She's going to admit that. Gonna, <laughs> um, I must admit that I, I use, um, for my personal stuff, I use Microsoft to-do list. And I really like it. And I didn't really connect the two, but... What they do is that when you tick off the thing off the stool list, it puts it to the bottom of the page. We're like, we tick next to it as in you've done this. And I said, I quite like seeing that done list at the bottom. And yeah. I'm not kind of connected it until I saw you talk about it. It's like, oh, yes, that's why I like it. It's the list of stuff I've done is always bigger than the stuff I haven't. That feels good. Yeah. Um, all right. Uh, one thing I'm asking everyone on the, the podcast this year is uh, what type of personal or professional develop they're currently undertaking. Now, it feels slightly harsh asking you, since you're just off the back off qualifying as both a teacher and as a coach. But I'm yeah. going to ask anyway, what type of personal slash professional development do you partake in? Well, what I'm looking at now is kind of extend. So I did also did a, I also did um, some CPD in like the neuroscience of coaching because I worked in neuroscience for a while, and um, so it was interesting to see where the kind of where it kind of all sits in the brain, as it were. Um, 
something that I definitely want to go and do is uh, some like neurodiversity coach training. Though as a neurodiverse person myself, I'm quite, I always feel very a bit like, okay, but is this going to be delivered by someone who doesn't actually understand or is it going to be delivered by a neurodiverse person? You know, because like much like how a lot of teenagers are sick of being told what to do by uh, by adults who don't understand. <laughs> a lot of neurodiverse people are sick of being told what to do by um by people who don't understand other people who don't understand. So um so that's what I'm gonna go and do. But right now, I mean what I do, I read a lot of stuff um from different different areas of life. So I kind of started following a guy who talks about like his um his his journey as, as a doctor. I'd really like to read, um, you know, what's kind of going on in other people's, what people, other people are doing professionally and what some of their insights are from like really like varying places. Um, I'm quite a big fan of dinosaurs. So I'm reading like some paleontology books at the moment. Um, and I usually get some, I usually get multiple, say what something, I usually get multiple things to talk about and relate to what I'm doing out of those. Like you'll make that'll make a really good video. That'll be really interesting. That'll be that'll make a really good blog post, really good blog prompt. You know, so something that's something I do is regularly just like read about other people's professional lives, especially. I love it. Um Ray, do you want to take a moment to tell people where they can find you and you know, potentially what's coming up for you going forward? Well, so all of my luckily, my name isn't very common. So uh my name, just my full name is Samantha Dematos. Um which um I'll give Terry the links to. Um so Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, and LinkedIn are all just Samantha Dematos. I think LinkedIn is like Samantha Dash D E Dash Matos. Um but yes, that's where you'll find that's where you'll find me on all of those places. Uh also Medium, which is a blogging site, which is also Samantha Dematos. Um I do a lot of I do a lot of writing on there. And there's my website, which is ww.samanthadematos dot com uh with no dashes or anything it's handy when you've got a name it's not common because <laughs> you just make that everything um at the moment i'm just because i just because i only recently qualified as a coach although i've been doing it for a while i finally got my qualification i'm putting out all my offers at the moment um, i've got a book that i wrote which is all to do with helping people find their identity and kind of like take their steps forward that's on my website and uh it's through amazon and i've got a couple of offers at the moment that i'm that i'm releasing coming up which is just like one-off sessions for people who are just either you've either, either you've got like an idea of where you want to go but are too overwhelmed to take those steps and i help you put those steps in and another one is the like what i mentioned before which is the why what now session which is where you've realized oh i'm kind of done with the thing i'm doing now well, what now that kind of helps you deal with that so those are the things i've got coming up I like it. And uh, we're, we're talking before, and I know that you've got some, you know, potentially some things planned for the future that Driving Digital could definitely keep an eye out for as well. But, um, but yeah, it's been an absolute pleasure today. Thank you for joining us. I've, I've learned a lot, and uh, I feel like I've had um, some of my opinions validated as well, almost. Oh, good. Well, I'm glad I could do that. <laughs> Thank you for your time today. Thanks for having me. It's been great. So a big thank you to Sam for joining me on the episode. It was uh, one that really got me thinking, and I mentioned a couple of times on the episode how it was either reaffirming what I was saying or it was kind of making me think slightly differently. But I have struggled to put some of the things Sam spoke about there into words before, so I really appreciate that. And if you've listened all the way to the end in particular, 
I'd be fascinated to get some feedback on this episode because I can imagine this one prodding a few people the wrong way. But I think the idea is, as with all these episodes, is to get you thinking a little bit. You know, I've spoke about episodes being CPD before and how you need to take action for it to be CPD. Taking action can just be thinking about stuff. You know, if you're coming away from this episode thinking, oh, maybe I am a bit harsh or maybe I need to reevaluate how I am sometimes, or even if you completely disagree, that's fine as well. You know, I'd be interested in, in feedback on this episode. So please, you know, feel free to let me know. And just a reminder that, if you're enjoying these episodes and you want to get them early and ad-free, then head over to the Instructor Podcast Premium. Sign up over there, because not only do you get all the bonus content, like the episodes with Bob Morton and Sam Harper, Kevin Tracy Field, Sophie Thompson, Laura Joyce, Lee Jowett, all the other people that come on, but you also get these episodes early and ad-free, as well as a load of discounts for places like Cowley's Instructor Training, the ADI, PDI, Doctor, San Harper's Mindfulness Courses, Bob Morton's Courses, all this kind of cool stuff. So head over to www.theinstructorpodcast.com to find out more and sign up where you can get all those discounts, all that content, and you get these episodes early and ad-free as well. But for now, let's just keep raising standards. The Instructor Podcast with Terry Cook, talking with leaders, innovators, experts and game changers about what drives them. Did you know that at the end of June 2023, there were 41.2 million licensed vehicles in the UK? That's an increase of 1.3% compared to the end of June 2022. And completely goes against what I said on a premium episode recently when I said there were 30 million. So, you know, I was only 10 million out.